Welcome back to Capitalize Your Fridays. This is Michael Williams. I'm the founder and president of Altius Financial, and I'm joined by my co-host here. Hey, I'm Taylor Dennis, Senior Wealth Design Specialist and Vice President of Altius Financial. So Taylor, we, this is kind of an episode that's by request, right? Uh, we've had a number of clients who've asked us to cover the debt ceiling. And yeah. with the government continuing to increase spending all the time, um, a lot of people are wondering, well, does this debt ceiling, what does that mean, first of all? And is it something they ever enforce? I mean, in one sense, it seems like not much of a ceiling, right? Because they continue to raise it. Maybe it's a, more of a sunroof. But let's dive into our thoughts on uh, government debt and how it may impact our client portfolios, the overall economy, and so forth. Uh, first, we need to do our, our uh, disclaimer. Yeah. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of investment advice or financial planning. No advisor-client relationship is formed by the broadcasting of this episode or your listening of what we say. The use of this information or any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content in this podcast is not meant as a substitute for professional financial advice. If you're needing specific financial advice for your situation, please reach out to your certified financial planner. Or if you're interested in learning more about our firm, our people, or our philosophy, feel free to reach out to us through our website, which is altiusfinancial.com, or contact us directly by email at taylor at altiusfinancial.com or michael at altiusfinancial.com. Just so you're aware, that is altiusfinancial.com. So today's podcast, I've listed out some questions around government spending, and I'm hoping to ask Mike for his thoughts on each. Sounds good. Where do you want to start? I'm thinking we'll kind of start with the basics on, well, what even is the debt ceiling, and then kind of build on from there. So for maybe our less government-savvy listeners, let's start with just, Mike, what is the debt ceiling? What, what does that even mean? Yeah, I think that's a good place to start, just kind of defining terms. And I'd like to define a couple of terms here. People sometimes get confused between the term deficit and debt and then debt ceiling. So those three ideas, as it applies to the federal government, you could think of it you know, maybe applying to your own personal situation as well. There's lots of distinctions between a government that can actually tax and print money versus a household. But in one sense, I think it's worth talking about those three terms. So the debt is the total amount that the federal government owes. Um, our government has been borrowing to fund its operations for many, many decades now. Yeah. Um, and you can think of it as this. I mean, what is the income of the federal government? Well, they get taxes, right? That's how governments fund themselves. They tax the people and corporations within their jurisdiction, and that's revenue. And then they have all kinds of things they spend money on. They have to spend money on the military. They have to spend money on Social Security. They have to spend money on all the different services that the, and bureaucracies that are part of our federal government. So you have income taxes, outgo all the different various kinds of services that the government is providing. Um, and if, they, if those two things don't match up, you end up with a shortage, and that's where you accumulate debt. The annual amount of that shortage is the deficit. So when they talk about, you know, we have a deficit of this much, but we have a debt of this much, well, the deficit is that, you know, year-to-year -year difference. The debt is the accumulating balance, like your credit card balance or something like that, or your yeah. ongoing debt that you owe to someone who's holding on to that debt and wants to be paid back. And so the key term now is, well, 
if you have this much debt, can you keep borrowing? Well, the Congress a number of decades ago said, we can't keep borrowing, we'll never be able to pay this back, so we have to feel really strongly if we're going to be borrowing more money. And we need to vote on each time we get to that point of, okay, we're up against the maximum amount we're willing to borrow. Well, maybe we have more important things now and we need to raise the debt ceiling. So that means the debt ceiling means now we've decided as a uh, Congress to raise that amount that we can continue to borrow. That's really what the debt ceiling means. Okay, okay. But so it seems like the government just increases this number each year. Um, when I think of a ceiling, I mean, I, I can look up right now and go, oh, that's a ceiling. It's not getting any bigger without a lot of work. <laughs> um, but that doesn't seem to be the case with our government debt spending. Um, is there really any value in having a debt ceiling if the government isn't going to hold up to that? Well, if you were a congressman or maybe a congressional <laughs> staffer, you might say, no, it is actually a lot of work. You don't realize how much work we're doing for you to get this passed through so the government can, t can continue to operate. Um, I've been warning our clients for, for years now that it's going to be a public uh, story, an, an issue as an ongoing thing, because we, we simply don't run any surpluses anymore. The last time we ran budget surpluses was actually under the Clinton administration, uh, and it, for a fairly short period of time. And if you run surpluses, that means you can pay down your debt, right? Yeah. Now, if you've got excess cap or excess revenue coming in, you can begin to say, okay, we're going to chip away at this debt that we have accumulated. But for, for a long time period, we've had no surpluses. We've only had annual deficits or shortages. And now the, each year, the government has to say either we're going to default or we're going to spend a lot less. We're really going to cut spending dramatically or we're going to raise the debt ceiling. And the Politically, even though I think a lot of people would say it's a lot of work to get this done, the politically expedient thing is to say, no, we're going to raise the debt ceiling and allow ourselves to borrow more money. And the question is, uh, you know, is there going to be a problem in the future of continuing to do that? And that's your implicit question, right? Yeah. You know, the, it doesn't seem like it means anything. They just come back and say, we're going to borrow more money. Yeah. Well, and so before this podcast started, you kind of were telling me about some of the extraordinary measures since, so each year they get to the point where, they're saying, okay, we're, we're reaching our ceiling. Um, now we're going to take on extraordinary measures. What, what does that mean? And do you want to kind of dive into what those entail? It's becoming more ordinary yeah. <laughs> rather than extraordinary because it's fairly routine now. But what that means is when they run up, they've already spent all the money they've allocated themselves to. And they're saying, wait, we still have a shortage. We need to raise the debt ceiling. And then some people, typically on, more on the Republican side, some of the Congress people are saying, no, we're not going to do it. We, we're spending too much. We can't. We got to cut spending instead of raising the debt ceiling. So they hold out. And they're oftentimes vilified in the media as saying, you're going to allow the federal government to default on its debt? Wow, that would cause all havoc. And it would probably. So there's a political battle that goes on in Congress where some people are saying, Look, yeah, we have to raise the debt ceiling. We have to pay our bills. We have to be good for our debts. And so we need to borrow more to be good for our debts. And then you have another side saying, no, we got to stop this nonsense. Um, we have to not uh, have a raised debt ceiling. We need to live within our means, so to speak. And during that political process, the government still needs to pay its bills, still needs to operate. Yeah. And so while that's happening, 
the Treasury Department is authorized to take, quote unquote, extraordinary measures. And most of that boils down to saying, well, we're going to reduce the cash balances that we have. Uh, and that means, you know, paying bills with the cash reserves that we have. Um, it also means temporarily suspending the investment in federal employee retirement accounts. And that's where oftentimes when you hear us getting close to this debt ceiling fiasco, a lot of the federal government employees are saying, wait, you can't screw with my retirement. You're, you, what you're doing is uh, making me pay the penalty for you guys not having more fiscal discipline or, not for, or for maybe not raising the debt ceiling. But that's what those extraordinary measures boil down to is within the actual, you know, it's very complicated because the federal government has gotten so large and the budget and all the different sources of revenue, taxation, and outgo are, are complicated. They have some things, they, some wiggle room, just like you would in your household. You'd say, well, okay, I can rob Peter to pay Paul this month. Yeah. And while, while we as a family are debating about whether we're going to borrow more money, I'm going to make sure the household keeps operating. And that's, yeah. those are what we mean by extraordinary measures. Okay. So listening to you talk about some of this, the phrase too big to fail comes to mind. It sounds like essentially we're just these big Americans, this big government, and we're just, we'll just keep raising the debt because it's fine. We're too big to fail. If we fail, everybody fails because a lot of economies depend on the American dollar. And I mean, is that the case that it's, is it possible that we are too big to fail and we'll just continue taking on more and more debt? Or is there any future where this will be resolved? Well, my view on this is that there's no company or government or person or entity that's, that's quote, too big to fail. You can't, you can't uh, just suspend the laws of reality. And I, I think you know, when you're talking about spend income and spending and debt issues, those all have roots in, is there production that's going on? And that means in the case of a government, you know, do you have uh, a gross domestic product? Do you have... You have an overall economy that's thriving and growing, um, and that's going to be the sort of reality check. You know, do you have an economy that's thriving and growing to be able to pay the taxes, support uh, paying these debt payments? At some point, you don't. And we've seen this uh, historically in lots of areas in the world. We, we haven't seen it so much in the U.S., although it's much more of a concern of U.S. taxpayers and investors now, is the United States government as fiscally sound as it should be, and could it fail? But you could say, we're going to continue to borrow. In fact, there are people out there uh, who advocate for that, who say, as long as you're issuing debt in your own currency, um, you can continue to do that. But we have examples of countries who've done that before, and not just tiny, you know, back world, third world banana republics who do this, but countries that actually are, at the time, uh, fairly large, thriving economies. You know, Argentina is an example. Venezuela, more recently, is an example. We've had countries before that have sort of tested the bounds of are they too big to fail, and then they do fail. Yeah. Um, because people will say the the currency is worth nothing. Your promises, your promises as a government to pay me are worth nothing. All you're doing is either defaulting or more likely, and this is more frequently the case because no one ever wants to say, yeah, we defaulted. We're not going to pay you back. We're going to say to your face, sorry, you're not getting your money back. Yeah. So what happens is they inflate the money supply and therefore pay back in cheaper and cheaper dollars. And that's what we're seeing right now. We're, we are seeing in the U.S. and around the world, lots of governments have raised their debt ceiling, so to speak, and have too much debt. And the only way out of it is either to default, massively cut spending, or the third option, this is what they're all choosing right now, is to inflate. And, and that's, what, that's what people are seeing is the, the secret tax of inflation is going on right now. 
Okay. Did that answer your question as far as the too big to fail? I mean, I think I did, but I want to make sure. So what I'm hearing is too big to fail doesn't exist. Even the big guys could could theoretically fail. Yeah, that's the bottom line is there's no such thing as too big to fail. You can, you can bail uh, people out and you can have that happen for much longer than I thought you could. But at some point, the, the laws of reality will make it such that you can't, you can't continue to do that. So you talked a bit about how inflation is going to impact the dollars that we're paying back. Is there any kind of term on these loans, on these large government loans? And what happens if, say, I, and I'm not certain, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that China has most of our outstanding debt. What happens if they say, you know, I could use that money right about now. Pay me back. And I know banks can do that with lots of loans to companies. So it should work the same with governments. Is that correct? Well, or? so there's two parts of this. I mean, China isn't necessarily the biggest uh, lender to the U.S. anymore in terms of either holders of, of gov- U.S. government bonds or government debt or new buyers of that. Now, they were at one point the biggest. Um, okay. But I think it shifted back to the U.S. Uh, and, and we're talking about corporations, pension plans, insurance companies who are required to buy you know, quote, safe uh, investments. And the safest investment supposedly is that debt that's issued by the U.S. government. And so, but those don't, those aren't always callable uh, or, or redeemable. I mean, if you own a bond, that doesn't mean you have the right to say, okay, pay me back at this moment. As long as the, the bond issuer, in this case, the government is paying their interest payments, as long as they're doing the contract and saying, okay, you bought this bond, and usually the longer-term ones are 30 years. Now, there are governments who are starting to issue 100-year bonds. They're basically trying to stretch this out forever. But typical long-term U.S. Treasury bond is a 30-year bond. It has a certain interest rate uh, dependent upon when it's issued. And as long as the government is paying those interest payments, the, the bondholder doesn't have any right to say, give me all my principal back right now. Okay. And, and so it's a, it's a matter of juggling those things and making sure that the, the government is paying the interest. And then when those bonds do come due, that they're paying off the principal. And it is a geopolitical risk when you, when you say, well, what if China just said, we want all of your, our money back? We want, to, we, want to pay, we want you to pay us back. Um, China has an interest in making sure that the U.S. government doesn't fail either. I mean, people think of it as this sort of very simple China wants to win and, and uh, wants America to go away. That's not really exactly the truth. China needs America and all of, all of the other countries who buy cheap stuff from them to continue to do that. And so it gets a little more complicated. They do want, I mean, there is the personalities in play, the power brokers in play, and they want to re- retain their power. But China itself would not do well if, if America defaulted on its debt. Okay. Well, so that kind of Skips some of my, one of my other questions. I, I think it might be worthwhile to talk about how this relates to investors directly. So if you're saying that a majority of the current outstanding U.S. debt is through American holdings, what does that mean for American citizens? So if we're saying that the government's struggling to pay back that debt, does that mean that any investment in government securities is maybe not so stable? Does it mean it's really not as good of an investment? I know we've talked quite a bit over the last handful of months, almost a year, about the I-bonds and how, okay, these have a great return right now. Is that a great return that's maybe even a higher risk than we had initially thought? Or 
Yeah, I think that's a really, really good question, Taylor, because uh, when you when you say, okay, well, you're going to go into something that's issued by the U.S. government, Mm -hmm. and it has this inflation protection, and it has a nominal, you know, nine percent type of return on it. That sounds like a you know a perfect investment right now, right? Yeah. Now, obviously, there, we, as we've talked about and put in our newsletters and, and warned people about, you can only do $10,000. The, the, the government's yeah. not going to let you know, Bill Gates put half his wealth into I-bonds. Yeah. Um, there's some limitations. And they're trying to give that, you know, that ability for someone to protect themselves a little bit. But since they've, in my mind, destroyed the incentives to save by having such low interest rates, they feel like they need to sort of do some <laughs> help on the other side. Yeah. But I even think of it as, okay, is, is this I-bond like a junk bond? You know, it's yeah. it's priced like a junk bond right now. And does that mean that it is junk? I mean, yeah. in one sense, that's a real thing. America still has, it's a very strong currency right now. People really around the world are demanding dollars and, and keeping the price of dollars relative to other currencies and relative to gold fairly high. So people are expressing confidence in the dollar, at least currently. Um, but when you have that kind of a high yield on a, on a government-issued debt, um, is that a signal that's saying, well, maybe it's not as secure as it, it has been or ought to be? I think that's a really good question. Well, so what is your thought on that? Is it a signal that it's not as stable or Absolutely. is it I more mean, we just have to wait and see? And we didn't need to see 9% yielding I-bonds at $10,000 a pop to have the signal. I mean, when it, lots of economic studies have been done on this and there are people who believe once you have your overall debt to GDP ratio go over 100%, then you're, you're on the decline. And ours is now well over 100%. Some economists use 200%. Uh, you know, you have, no, you'll be fine until you get to 200%. But we're well over 100% of our GDP um, in, in our debt situation. And people who've been watching this, and I would say uh, this gets into the issue of precious metals, money, paper fiat money. Uh, but ever since the 1970s, when Nixon took the U.S. officially off the gold standard, most investors have said, well, that is uh, a signal that America is going to be less financially responsible than it had been in the past. And you can see this in terms of just day-to-day products that one might buy. A loaf of bread at the time of the founding of this country in 1776 costs relatively the same amount that it costs in close to 1900. I mean, so for well over 100 years, most expenses were in a range. They didn't go up. In fact, a lot of them went down because of the innovation that would happen in in that particular industry. But ever since the early 1900s, and then certainly once Nixon took us off the gold standard, you've seen inflation be potentially an issue. Now, we've had a good long period here where big inflation wasn't there. We didn't have anywhere close to the inflation we're experiencing now. And people were kind of comfortable with that. Okay, well, as long as we have low inflation, it'll be manageable. Um, But there have been, like I said, lots of signals well before high-yielding I-bonds that the government wasn't being disciplined with how it actually managed its both inflow, taxation, and outflow of the spending. Now, a lot of people say we just need higher taxes, right? Here's here's the yeah. way to you more income. Yeah, to you match that up by actually having higher taxes. Yeah. But the key thing that people yeah. who are advocating for that don't necessarily recognize or won't admit is that that's not really productive. I mean, higher revenue in a household generally means you have someone who's earning more money and being more productive. Yeah. Higher taxation isn't actually mean the country's being more productive. 
It just means that the government's taking more of that production. And that's a key point to, for people to keep in mind. Yeah. What does that mean for our investors? I mean, does this mean that international investments are going to continue to become more favorable because we can't necessarily trust our government to do what we want them to do with their money? Well, keep in mind, there's a difference between, uh, uh, you know, when you say international investments, what do you mean? Do you mean international sovereign government bonds like the U.S. government bonds? Or do you mean uh, stocks that are located in other countries than the U.S.? Do you mean real estate? So when we say investments, we got to remember there's yeah. a lot of different asset classes that you could put your money into. I would say that it's 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 definitely smart, it, purely on valuation reasons. Those valuation reasons do have to do with how responsible governments are. But I think, and we've been saying this for the last couple of years, the, the relative value that a person can find in real estate or in uh, uh, stocks, companies, um, the relative value looks more attractive uh, by having overseas, definitely some overseas exposure. That's kind of following into what my secondary question is. So my, my initial thought was, as far as investments, is it better to invest in, yeah, companies that are located overseas, real estate overseas, um, but then kind of building on that, is it worthwhile looking at other types of currencies, whether that be actual other sovereign currencies, so maybe the yen, the euro, um, the quid, um, and then taking that even a step further to say, well, then should you look at precious metals since those were an original currency or even go so far as to say crypto tech currencies? Well, I mean, you, should we be diversifying our exposure to any given currency at this time? Well, you know my answer to that. The question to the diversification question is, you know, should I diversify more? And the answer is, well, what do you know? If you know what's going to happen, diversify less. If you don't know, if you're very confused about the future and you can't really make a prediction about the future, then diversify more. And that would be the, the, the situation that we're often in because most people don't have the crystal ball that they maybe think they do or that the guy on TV is telling them he has. So diversification is a concept that says, well, if you don't really know, then spread things around because something will actually probably offset, be offset by the risks that are being taken in one area and you, you'll have something that's working out. And, and certainly we believe in diversified portfolios. Now, when you talk about diversifying into currencies, generally I haven't been a fan of investing in currencies because they can be volatile and it's a net zero game generally. I mean, even when you think about gold, uh, and I would say this, uh, you can speculate on gold and you can speculate on uh, you know the Swiss franc or, or the British pound or something like that, or the US dollar. You can definitely speculate on those, but those aren't really... Again, those aren't productive assets. Those are relative to other currencies. How are they going to play out? And I'm not any good at that um, in terms of actually trying to bet on one currency against another. And I think most investors that I follow who've done very well for, for a long time say the same thing. They're, you know, It's very difficult to bet on currencies. Now, you might want to hold a good part of your portfolio that's denominated in a different currency for that diversification reason. And I do think it's worth diversifying into, as you know, uh, certainly precious metals when you have irresponsible government spending. That is oftentimes a good time to protect your wealth through through gold and silver. And and potentially, I'm more open to cryptocurrencies than I ever have been. Uh, you know, I've been saying this for years. I, I keep studying it and I get kind of like, yeah, that might be a good argument. Um, we have not as yet recommended or bought any uh, cryptocurrencies for ourselves or for our clients. That doesn't mean we don't have clients who are who aren't exposed there. They're just not doing it through their 
through their Altius portfolio. Um, but it, there's an argument there for diversification. Okay. Well, so what would be the ideal situation for Americans? Is there anything we can or should be doing as individuals? Well, as individual investors, going back to that last question you have, it's wise to diversify. And it's, it's also wise to say to yourself, well, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Um, I know that I can't take a lot of risk without it being actual risk. Now, the government has backstopped some of that risk in the recent years, and Wall Street kind of expects that to continue, where, where it actually was originated, originally called the Greenspan put. And all that meant was that Wall Street and large investors said, well, whenever we get into a dicey stock downturn, the Federal Reserve will lower interest rates and make it all good and, and make it you know, so that we can bounce back up off the bottom. Uh, I don't think that's a long ter- good long-term strategy for people to expect the Federal Reserve to continue to bail them out that way. Uh, again, there is a limit to how far they can go without actually destabilizing the, the federal government finances even more. So what can people do on, a, on an investment level Make sure they're paying attention to what they what is of value, real value, uh, and that's partly what what our role is is to actually uh, do the homework, the due diligence on investments, and say, okay, is there really income streams that support the stock price that we're or the real estate price that we're we're paying for something? Be very value conscious. Be very much a diversifier, and then you know be activist in terms of demanding more from your government. I mean that, that's the biggest thing that people could do right now is is to say you know we we want responsibility. That does take me into the kind of dicey area where some of my clients, some of our clients, you know, will cheer me on, and some people will say, okay, here's where he's going on his rant about you know political views. But I think it's important for people to know there is an end at some point of how irresponsible any government can be with regard to its spending. I have been an advocate of not raising the debt ceiling for, for a long time. And most of our clients who pay attention to that ask me, well, what does that mean? What would happen if, if we, so for example, during the financial crisis in 2008, if our government would have not come to the conclusion, well, we need to raise the debt ceiling and do TARP and all these other measures to make sure that we're stabilizing the financial markets, what would have actually happened? Well, it would have been chaos. You know, the stock market doesn't like it when there is that kind of instability in our government. And so if we didn't raise the debt ceiling, and this will come up next year, there'll be plenty of times where, or at least a couple times where the, the Congress will need to raise the debt ceiling. It may be get wide, widely reported depending upon how, how much opposition there is to that. If there's a good deal of opposition, and, and certainly if, if the Republicans control both the Senate and the House, there'll be a large number, maybe not a majority, but a large number of them who will say, no, we can't keep doing this. We, we're not going to raise the debt ceiling. Yep. We've got to cut spending. But you can't cut spending that quickly, right, uh, without it being very disruptive. Okay. Now, if you just said we're going to lay off hundreds of thousands of federal government employees, that would be very disruptive in many ways itself. So it's hard to thread that needle. But um, I know I'm rambling here. My, my position is we shouldn't be raising the debt ceiling. That means that we should either raise taxes, which I'm against, or we should cut spending. And that's what I think really needs to happen is we've got to start cut, cutting spending dramatically. Now, not so dramatically that it's really going to totally change the, uh, the stability uh, that Americans count on, but there's, there are definitely ways we can cut. I mean, people talk about waste, fraud, and abuse in the federal government, and I'm for reducing all those things or eliminating all those things and even 
even asking the hard questions that we asked in our uh, our workshop uh, recently, our political workshop, where okay, what is the actual purpose of government? You know, let's look at all the things that the government is spending money on that we're asking the government to spend money on through our representatives, and is that really a core purpose? Well, if it isn't, then we should cut it back. That's that is my view. Even though I realize that would cause volatility in the short to medium term with regard to our client investments. We would be healthier as an economy and as a culture if we dealt with that in an honest way, in my view. Okay. That kind of brings me to wanting to almost quote something that you said last week in one of our team meetings. And I, I know I'm going to butcher it, so you feel free to fix it, <laughs> fix what I'm saying. But you made a comment um, when we were talking about our our team book chat about how Sometimes the things that you need to do that are going to be better for you in the long run are going to cause a lot of pain. Whereas the things that, like it's it's easy to just continue on as you are and it doesn't hurt to not change things. It doesn't hurt to, to wake up and say, I don't have to work out today or I don't have to eat greens or be healthy or go to the doctor. And it might hurt to say, oh, I got to go to the doctor and oh, they're, they're going to poke me. They might check my blood oh, that workout's going to be tiring. Um, it sounds like this is kind of the same situation. Is is that correct? Where it's it's easy for people to say, oh, well, I'll get reelected and we can just keep on taking more debt and things may just continue on until, until things explode. <laughs> or no, we need to turn around and do the hard work and this is going to hurt everybody, but in the long run, it'll be better to be financially solvent. Yeah, I think that's a really good analogy. And it is one of those things where you can take the easy path and you won't feel the pain right now, but that pain or the price that you're going to pay is building in the background. Now, like you said, with regard to your your health, you know, if you, if you say, well, I'm going to eat Twinkies and, uh, you know, drink beer, that's my entire diet. Well, that maybe is sort of pleasurable for a while. <laughs> Yeah. But in the background, you're getting less healthy, you're getting less fit, you're, you're, you're making that price be much higher. And that's part of what we've done with our, our debt problem is that we've, we've been living off of a, an enormously productive economy for a long time, but our seed corn is being eaten. And the, for people, I don't know if you, that, I sometimes use <laughs> phrases that people in your generation don't know, but, yeah. but the, you know, the issue of seed corn is, you, you, you know, when you're a farmer, you have to plant a certain amount every year to have a crop. And if you eat eat everything in that year, you don't have any more seed corn. You, you don't get a plant for the following year. Maybe you eat really well this year because you ate everything. You eat all your corn, but you don't have any corn to plant, and therefore you're going to starve the following year. And that's what we're doing in many ways is you know we're, we're living off the legacy of a tremendously productive and free economy. And it's, I don't think it's terminal. I know some people who do. And, and those, those historians who say once you hit a certain debt to GDP ratio, then it's all over. You're just in decline from there. I don't think that's necessarily the case for, for America, um, but we do. there should be some, some big wake-up calls, and we need to get healthier. And I think even to take your analogy further, there's ways of getting healthier that can be motivational even as the pain is happening along the way. You know, but that takes leadership. That takes really good leadership for, or a good, you know, a good trainer, right? We need a yeah. good trainer who will say, <laughs> I know that you do one more rep. I know it's going to yeah. hurt, but you're going to be glad that you did that. Or no, push that, you know, push that ice cream away tonight. I know it's going to, you know, feel not as good as, as it might be if you'd had the ice cream, but you're going to see the benefits, yeah. you know, and we need people who are coaches and, and trainers like that in this regard, who will say, 
no, we're going to do the right thing. Um, and it may be a little bit painful, but we're going to make it so that it's, you're going to see how it's really going to work out for you. And you know, that, that means there would be a much brighter future uh, for, for all of us. And hopefully we'll, we'll see that. Um, hopefully we won't have to get to the point where it's so painful and dramatic surgeries are necessary or you know, uh, yeah. crash diets or whatever. Um, that's, that's a good analogy, I think. Okay. Well, so what about our listeners who are listening to this and saying, no, 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 let's just keep taking on debt. Why, why would I need to fix this? this? This doesn't impact me. You know, I really, I'm really glad you brought that point up because I, we have a lot of clients who sort of maybe on the political level take, I mean, you, you characterize it as, you know, those who are just being irresponsible, but I don't, I don't necessarily see it that way. I, we have a lot of people who are, who think my uh, view of not raising the debt ceiling Maybe even you know flirting with default, um, maybe even defaulting. I mean that that is one choice that that the American government could and maybe will have to take at some point. But there are, there are clients that we have who are saying, yeah, that's crazy talk, Mike. You're 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 a fringe guy out there, and that's not that's not being a grown up. And they do advocate for just paying higher taxes and 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 having more more of a welfare state, more of a a, a caring you know government that's providing lots of services, more and better education and so forth. But then when we look at their budgets, oftentimes they are very frugal people yeah. <laughs> and very uh, responsible with their own money. And it, to me, that's a, like such a contrast to see them saying, well, here's how I behave in my own world. I'm responsible. I don't you know, uh, run up my debts and I've accumulated some wealth and, and some security. Yeah. But they don't necessarily apply that, to that same method or worldview to a government. And it, it's kind of frustrating to me. But... But ultimately, it boils down to whether you think there is reality in the sense of you, know, you can only go so far in the way of continually printing money and borrowing money before you end up in trouble. Yeah. Um, I think that's what it, if, if, you, if you believe that, you know, that governments are different and special that way and that they can defy the, the you know, economic laws or the laws of finance, then you know, I think that means that ultimately you're advocating for uh, for a very very painful thing, and probably not um, not very orderly either. I mean, I think that when you have those kinds of situations historically, um, that's where you end up having revolutions. You have violence, uh, and I think that's something we want to avoid. Um, and the best way to avoid it is to to take the steps now to get healthier before we get on that 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 edge. Yeah. So it's the. The all progress starts with the truth. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good way to summarize it. All progress starts with the truth, and the truth is you can't spend forever, and that means that you have to be, you have to be starting to make hard choices and be more responsible with the finances you have. So, what are maybe some good key takeaways for our, our listeners today? What would you say would be good advice for what should they be doing right now? And then maybe a little quick wrap up of your thoughts on what's going on with the debt ceiling and. Well, as always, you you know, like you said, there's a principle of uh, progress starting with the truth, and the other principle is that you don't have any control over the debt ceiling. <laughs> you as an individual, me as an individual, don't have control over that. Now we can try to persuade our, our our fellow citizens through representation and our actual representatives, the legislatures in in Congress and at our state levels, to to be more responsible. But we want to be as focused laser-like focus on what we have control over. And that has always been a really good prescription for someone in all times. When someone says, okay, I can't control what my government is doing, but I can control my own finances. 
I can be more diversified within my own finances. I can be maybe more frugal with what I'm doing uh, in terms of my own spending. Now, again, we, we believe that people should have a balance. But as you, as you get into a scenario where you get less secure with regard to your surroundings, that means maybe you need to be more cautious with regard to what you're doing in your own, your own personal circumstances. And, and we think it's worthwhile to make sure that you're reviewing your plan, make sure that you're reviewing your spending on an ongoing basis and your uh, portfolio diversification. Um, I think that the, some key takeaways are, um, as, I, as I mentioned, there's differences between the debt, the deficit, and the debt ceiling. Hopefully we clarified that for people. Um, and that you know there are actual facts and laws of finance that you can't ultimately overcome. Um, and that the last thing I would say is, you know, we should be hopeful if we're willing to act and advocate for more of a rational approach to government finances and, ha- and having our government be the, the kind of uh, example for the rest of the world, which it has been for most of its, most of its history. Okay. Thank you. Well, so thanks everyone for listening to our podcast. We invite you to follow, like, friend, um, subscribe to us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, obviously on this podcast as well. All platforms are saved as Altius Financial. That's A-L-T-I-U-S Financial. It's all typed in one word. You should see our logo with the pillar um, as our profile picture for Instagram and Facebook. We also invite you to tune in on Tuesdays as we do our terminology Tuesdays. We're trying to bring in new terms each week and hopefully that's kind of another good learning outlet for our listeners um, and any of our followers as well. Please feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or even suggestions for a future podcast. Um, Also, if you're looking for assistance in your financial situation, if you want some help maybe navigating your financial planning, your investment strategy, please feel free to reach out to us. We are definitely still looking for clients that are like-minded, interested in bettering themselves and working on progress in their financial futures. So my email is taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, at altiusfinancial.com. You can also check out our website, www.altiusfinancial.com. There's plenty of resources on there as well. Thanks again for joining us. Happy Friday. Capitalize on your weekend. Thanks, everybody. 